listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. We're going to be looking this morning at peace. And as we do, if you would repeat after me, these words are on the screen. Uh, Open my eyes that I may receive God's wonderful word to me. That's our prayer. That comes from Psalm chapter 119. We're going to be looking at a variety of scriptures this morning. The reason for that is normally we're, we're walking through a book of the Bible. We're right in the middle of Luke. We just finished like the middle of Luke chapter 9 a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, and so what we're doing through this Advent season is we're looking at more of these traditional Advent topics. And so what I want us to see is that peace is necessary for our lives. Peace only comes from Jesus Christ in Christ's reign is a reign of peace. And so Caleb mentioned it last week in the sermon, but he said, we often don't think rightly about heaven. And so oftentimes we're searching for how do we create peace? How do we create hope? How do we create love? How do we create joy here in this life? And so I want us to see from a plethora of verses. Nicole is running media today. She's going to be clicking that, the space bar about as fast as she can. But I want us to see all throughout scripture, Peace is all throughout there. It's not one of these things like, oh man, can we actually attain this? But peace is possible only in and through Jesus Christ. It's an exclusive call, a call to peace. And I want us to see from scripture that maybe, since peace is such a big deal throughout the word of God, maybe we don't consider it quite as much as we need to. And so that's why we have verses ranging from Genesis all the way to Revelation, a lot of stuff in between. But we're going to begin in Genesis uh, uh, chapter 1. So the first question I'd like to ask you is this. What comes to mind when you think about peace? What comes to mind when you think about peace? Anybody? Except one word answer. Let's keep it a one or two word answers. We're not going to, uh, I can't do like uh, individual counseling right now this morning. Uh, but what comes to mind? This is a non-rhetorical question. That means you can answer back uh, out loud verbally. So what comes to mind when you think about peace? Rest. Rest. Calm, security, security. quiet, quiet. Impossible. impossible, stable. stable. What else? I like how the, the parents in the room are like, quiet, yes, amen. <laughs> and, and why is she not preaching? What else? Tranquility, fulfillment. fulfillment. Anything else? I know you're thinking it, you just don't want to say it. Peace sign. I was, uh, me and my son were r- running a 5K yesterday, and uh, we, we ran by a couple of cars. Yeah, when I say run, I mean barely. Like, we were barely running. I haven't run in years. Nothing's chased me in a long time. So we were running this 5K, and, and my, my 10-year-old, he saw uh, some stickers on the back of cars, and he said, Dad, how much does it cost to put a sticker on your car? And I was like, not much, buddy. <laughs> So, yeah, it's not like the people who have the most money have all the stickers on the back of their car. <laughs> and so I said, not, not a whole lot. He said, do you ever put stickers on your car? I said, not anymore. He said, why not? I said, well, when I was in college, 
I had, a, I had a peace sign on the back of my car. And I was actually driving from Los Angeles back here to Atlanta. And my car was just loaded down with stuff because I was moving back after college. And I got pulled over in Oklahoma. And me and this other guy, we got pulled over uh, by Oklahoma State Patrol or somebody. And they, they separated us out. And we were like, okay, why are, are y'all asking each of us our stories? We weren't speeding. We had it on cruise control. <laughs> and uh, the guy said, well, a car that's loaded down like that with a peace sign on the back usually means you're transporting drugs from one side of the country to the other. And we said, okay, so we're talking about a different kind of peace. So I appreciate the peace sign. But so maybe this is not like a 60s, 70s type of peace, even though I understand that reference. Um, so anything else, and so I took the peace sign off immediately upon arriving back in Georgia. I've not put any stickers on the back of my car, so not to uh, connotate anything else. But um, yeah, so we think calm, rest, tranquility. There, there's a lack of worry in that. And, and even as your mind goes there, you're thinking, man, that sounds really good. Because it's more, we probably came into this probably not considering this question cognitively. But even as I, we began talking about peace, quiet, calm, fulfillment, satisfaction, probably what creeps up in your mind most, and this creeps up in mine often, is, is peace even possible? You said impossible. Is, is peace even a possibility in this life? Or are we, do we have this idea of something? All those words sound really good. And if you're like me, it's just like, oh, well, yeah, I've got kids. So give me like 14 more years, and maybe then I'll have some quiet. Oh, yeah, well, I'm married. So let's figure out what that looks like, and then I'll, yeah, we're just looking forward to heaven. <laughs> for some of y'all, not for me. <laughs> and so it, maybe it's your job, and you're just like, I'll never have peace at my job. I'll never have enough money. So is peace actually possible? Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. And as we look at this, what we call a meta-narrative of Scripture, we, we know this, that God created the world perfect the way that everything should be. That's the first act. We're going to see sin entering into the world in just a second. It doesn't take long. It only takes like a verse for things to be perfect. And then Satan comes in. He's like, hey, I've got a different plan. But then it looks forward to Jesus. And then we see in the end, Jesus Christ returns again. So we have creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So the ideal is, things, is for things to be peaceful. We have this meta-narrative of Scripture, Christ comes twice. He comes right here to save us. That's what we call the season Advent. We look at his first coming, but we're also looking forward to the second return of Christ. And all we've ever known, by the way, and, and Caleb mentioned this last week, but all we've ever known is this in-between state. And so we're in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, between this redemption and this restoration. And this is what we call the already not yet. This is all we've ever known. And so in the middle of that, we can either look to Christ to find peace, to find hope, to find joy, to find love, or we can try to create it in and of ourselves because everything is not as it should be, right? But I'm getting ahead of myself, Genesis chapter 2. So we know in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks everything into creation, everything that we see. Genesis 2 is kind of a recap. It's a retelling of that. Genesis chapter 1 is a poem. Genesis chapter 2 is more of a narrative. But notice what he says 
And I, yeah, today, you know, we had fourth and fifth graders out. It's not family worship. So I picked this verse maybe intentionally, but I want us to see this is how Genesis 1 and 2 are summarized. And a lot of these verses are going to be on the screen. So if you don't want to, if you weren't really good at Bible drills, you can just read up there. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, it says this, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So at this point, it's like, man, this is great. <laughs> For some of you are like, that doesn't sound like peace to me. But at the end of Genesis 1 and 2, this is the way that everything was supposed to be. There was nothing wrong in the world. They didn't even have to wear clothes. Everything is perfect. But then we get down to Genesis chapter 3. But before we do, here's what I want us to do is as we look at this biblical narrative, this meta-narrative of scripture, we have to understand how does the Bible define peace? Because if right here at the end of Genesis chapter 2, everything is perfect, everything is peaceful, we have to understand what's a good definition of peace? Because we just kind of formulated one, but here's how the Bible defines peace. In the Old Testament, there's the word shalom. It's used 236 times. I didn't count this week, I used a commentary. But here's what shalom means every time it's used, and that word in and of itself. It means completeness or wholeness or good health, well-being, prosperity, or safety. A lot of times shalom is being with God, is finding salvation in God. Everybody say shalom. shalom. You're probably familiar with that. But that's what it means when we look at the Old Testament. It's used 236 times. In the New Testament, there's this word irene. Everybody say irene. Yep, and this is not in Hebrew or Greek. I could not get ProPresenter to duplicate what it actually looks like, but it looks a little bit different in the Hebrew and the Greek, but that's mostly a transliteration of that. It's used 91 times in the New Testament. Again, a really big deal for peace to exist. When we see that word irene, it means harmony or concord in relationships, order, and we use this word, tranquility. It's without worry or trouble. Now, so when we think about, I don't have a, like a, perfect, fantastic definition of peace. But when we think about those words, those definitions of those words, shalom and irene, doesn't that, when you, when you think peace, doesn't your mind go there? This lack of worry, this tranquility, this wholeness, well-being, the external of life, the internal of life, there's no worry. Your relationships are in perfect concord. But what is the opposite of peace? Somebody tell me, what's the opposite of peace? War. Yeah. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. So we have here in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes. I, I don't have time to read every single one of these verses, but the serpent comes. We know it's Satan, the enemy. And so we have God perfectly reigning in peace. Everything is as it should be. The serpent comes. He says, Eve, did God really say that? Take a bite of the fruit. And she says, you know what? I'm going to. Here's why that's important. It's because at that point, God didn't say, you know what? I'm going to create war. No, war happened because of our sin. Man and woman, they rebelled against the peace that God had established. They declare war. We have declared war against a peaceful God. The result of that is brokenness. And now we're no longer perfect citizens in this peaceful kingdom. Now we're slaves to sin. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, notice how God responds to this declaration of war. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And he's here talking about these two rulers of peace and of war. He's talking here about Jesus and about Satan. He's saying there's going to be enmity. There's going to be a curse. There's going to be pain. There's going to be death. This is not the result of peace. This is the result of war. 
There's strife, there's struggle, there's chaos. Now there's uncertainty. Now there's worry. Where do we, where do you see the absence of peace? Maybe you see it personally. Maybe there's inward anxiety or shame or a feeling like you're not enough or you need something else. Think about that for a minute. Where do you see this absence of peace in your life? This inner conflict for acceptance. If I was just accepted by my spouse or my kids or by someone else, if I was just accepted by the society or the culture in the way that I looked, if I just had more money, man, I'd be at peace. I just need that promotion. Consider the absence of peace in relationships. We see this especially now and uh, as family gathers for the holiday season, nobody's really looking forward to seeing every single person in your family. <laughs> Maybe a few of them. And that's why you gravitate to some. You stand, you know, by the turkey, and it's like, oh, there's, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I got a phone call. Give me, give me one second, I'll be right back, you know. Just me? Okay. <laughs> Maybe there's conflict with your wife. Maybe there's conflict with your kids. Maybe there's conflict with your spouse, with your boss, with your coworkers. We, we experience this relational absence of peace, this relational war. Think about our community. I talk to folks all the time. It's like, man, we've, we've got a, a developer who just bought 200 acres of land right across the street. Ah, now there's no peace in my neighborhood. There's no peace on my street. Consider the absence of peace in society. I see this almost every day with road rage in someone else's car. <laughs> we see this. It's like, if you're not agreeing with me on, on BLM or abortion matters or who we should vote for or whether or not to get a vaccine or if we even call it a vaccine or, or what we should look like or what we should wear, or what we call these different genders, it's like, oh, man, then we've got to be against each other. We've got to be fighting. There's an absence of peace. There's an absence of peace globally. Even among nations, and we can say, hey, let's just, let's just pull the troops out. Let's just, that creates peace. That doesn't create peace. There's never going to be peace because of Genesis chapter 3. There's enmity. There's death. There's a curse. There's pain. But we see a glimpse of hope. Good Isaiah chapter 9. With me, if you would. And this is a familiar Christmas passage, but we see just this glimpse of hope. And if if you're there in, in the scriptures, if you actually look back at the end of chapter 8, we see why Isaiah chapter 9 is so important. We see why there's so much hope in the coming of Jesus Christ. Because in Isaiah chapter 8, at the very end, if you notice in verse number 21, here Isaiah is talking about God's people, and he's also talking about the world. He's saying, Isaiah, uh, the Israelites are a microcosm of what is happening nationally. He's saying, for all of the world, we have this Savior coming. But here's what the world looks like apart from that. He says, they'll be uh, greatly distressed and hungry, hungry, enraged, contemptuous. Then they will turn their faces upward. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness gloom and anguish. At the very end of chapter 8, he says, they will be thrust into thick darkness. There's this anxiousness, this worry, this cloud that's hanging over all of creation. But then in Isaiah chapter 9, we see Jesus Christ. And Isaiah says, there is a Messiah. There is hope coming. There is peace coming for all of this war, all of this distress and this worry. 
Verse number two says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them it it has shown. But verse number six, here's what I want you to see, Isaiah chapter nine. Here's what we know. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Be reminded of Genesis chapter three. In verse number 15, he says, your child is going to be the one who crushes the head of the Satan. He's going to be bruised, but there's, he's going to crush the head of the Satan. This is the son that we're talking about. It's pointing to Jesus. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, you can't spell Jerusalem without USA, okay? But he's not here talking about the government of America. He's saying there is a king who is kind of, I hate that joke. <laughs> I don't even like the person who told me that joke. Uh, I don't even know why I shared that with y'all, but you'll never forget it. I guarantee you. Uh, He's not here talking about some earthly kingdom. He's saying there's a better kingdom. He is going to be the king of. It's his government who's going to be ruling the way that things were supposed to be in creation. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, a Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of what? Peace. Good work. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He's going to make all things right the way that things should be. On the throne of David and over its kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So all things are going to be restored because of Jesus. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's going to do it. Now, notice that I think this is just a, an interesting side note. Isaiah here is talking almost past tense. This is who has come. He's so confident of it. He's saying, this has basically come to pass because God had promised it. But then he says at the very last verse, he says, this is what's going to happen. When does it happen? Another common nativity passage. Go to Luke chapter 2 with me. Luke chapter 2. You'll know this if... You've even, you know, watched the Peanuts recreation like, like we have in the past couple of weeks. But we know this passage. We know this Advent, this first coming of Jesus. He says here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, For unto you, and this is the angels proclaiming to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, does it say peace to everybody in the whole world, even if he's not pleased with them? No. Jesus is the mediator of peace, and he is the exclusive mediator of peace. It is exclusive to people the people that are his, that with whom he is pleased, and he is the exclusive way of peace. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way, other way to get to the Father. There's no other way to find peace. Jesus is the mediator of peace. But if we look back at Isaiah chapter 53, I think this will be on the screen, but Isaiah 53 and verse number five, we see this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. In order for the enemy, the rebel, to be brought into peace with this good, peaceable king, punishment is necessary. So Jesus Christ didn't just come down and say, hey, I'm going to reign. 
as the king, as the king of peace, just come to my kingdom. No, it's free. We, we have open borders. Anybody just show up and have, no, he says, I am the only way into this kingdom. I'm it. And guess what? I've come to live the life that you were designed to live way back here in creation, in perfect peace with God, in perfect harmony, in perfect well-being. Everything is great. Everything is right. I've come to live that life for you, perfectly obeying every part of the law. And now I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to die the death that you filthy, rebel, wretch deserve to die. I'm now the mediator because I'm the lamb who is laid on this altar. So when the father looks at you, he doesn't see nasty rebel wretch, but he sees this lamb, this perfect lamb who mediates the sacrifice, who mediates the father's holiness and righteousness, and he mediates our sinfulness and our fallenness and our rebel natures. Jesus Christ is our mediator Jesus Christ didn't come the first time and declare war on our hearts because there would be none of us left. Jesus Christ came the first time and he declared war on sin, on sin's penalty. And he is declaring war even now over sin's power. One day when Christ returns, he's going to declare war on sin's presence. But we're in that already not yet state. So we look back at Christ's first coming We look forward to his second coming. But we look back and we can say, man, Jesus Christ took the wrath of God that we deserved. He took the Father's wrath. That's the token, that's the golden ticket for getting into his kingdom. And he says, I'm going to take the wrath on your behalf. That way you can experience freedom. You can experience forgiveness. You can experience acceptance. You can experience peace. You can experience oneness with the creator of the universe. Everything can be made right. What does that do to your soul? What do you feel right there in your gut? If it's not thankfulness and worship, then you either don't understand the depravity of your sin or you don't understand the sacrifice of Jesus. If you feel like even then you have to bring something to give to God the Father because the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough, you don't understand that there is nothing that you can bring. He did it all for us. He gives us access. That enmity, that curse, that pain, that death, has now been turned into relationship. It's been turned into blessing. It's been turned into life. It's been turned into healing. We can now experience peace. Ephesians chapter two, verses 13 through 16, it says this. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. We were rebels, we were enemies, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now notice, we see this word hostility throughout the New Testament. It's because we've built this wall, and this hostility is war language. He doesn't say, oh, well, we just needed to apologize. Well, just try to do better. No, there was hostility. We had turned our backs on God. We had run from him and said, you are the enemy. We do not want to obey you. There's hostility there. It's been broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself 
one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He makes peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's saying we together as a body are made one with Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, it says this in verse number 19. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. So my question for you this morning is, what are you overcome with? What are you overcome with? Where you feel like there's this hostility that's in your heart and in your soul, or this relationship with someone else. What do you most fear or worry right now? What's the number one thing? This is rhetorical. You don't have to respond to this. But consider that. What or who consumes you with anxiety, even this morning? And is that thing greater than Jesus? And I'll go ahead and give you the answer to the test. The answer is no, it is not. So I would plead with you this morning to run to Jesus Christ because in him there is peace, there is freedom. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 16 says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. In other words, Jesus Christ is peace personified. If you want to find peace, you must run to Jesus Christ because he himself is peace. The degree to which we don't take God at his word is the degree to which we will not run to him for peace. In my life, this shows itself as bitterness and anger and pride. I want the approval of people so terribly. I want to be accepted by people so much that it's difficult often for me to experience peace because I had this hostility between me and God, and I'm like, ah, that's okay. Maybe if I do more, maybe if I do better, maybe if I preach a better sermon, maybe if I wear cooler clothes, maybe if I uh, evangelize more, whatever that is, maybe God will be accepted with me. Maybe I say just the right thing to you. Maybe I don't get on your nerves. Maybe if I, you know, replicate uh, your cadence or I smile enough or if I tell you all the good things that I've done that week, if I'm nice enough to you, then I'll be accepted. And until I had that acceptance, that approval, I'm at war with myself and I experienced the hostility. But can I tell you, friends, that's because I'm not running to Jesus and finding my peace in him. Because it's because of Jesus' finished work on the cross that the Father looks at me and approves of me. You can be accepted by the creator of the universe by placing your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. With him only is there peace. Nowhere else. If, if I'm responsible for my own peace, for creating my own peace, I can then justify leaving my wife because I can find peace somewhere else. If I'm responsible for creating my own peace, I can lie to my boss. If I'm responsible for creating my own peace, I don't have to be committed to community. 
But we know that's not true. We get our peace from Jesus Christ and him alone. And it is not a false peace. John chapter 14 and verse 27 says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now notice there's a, a true peace and there's a false peace. Not as the, not as the world, <laughs> oh, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Somebody said, you know, the, the absence of peace, it feels like fear, right? The opposite of peace is fear. He said, don't let them be afraid. Don't let the enemy creep in and say, no, no, you can find peace in something. You can, buy, you can find peace in buying something. You can find peace by looking at this on the television screen. You can find peace by lying. You can find peace by having a little more for yourself. You can find peace in sleeping in. You can find peace by lying on your taxes. You can find peace by doing enough good stuff for people to look at you and to be approved of you. True peace is not based on circumstances. True peace is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and him alone. Don't listen to the father of lies. Because here's what we know. Jesus Christ came the first time to live and to die, to be crucified for us, and he was resurrected. He was raised to life. Now he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where now he is mediating for us, bringing about even further peace. But Jesus Christ is coming back again. And he's not just waging war on sin, but he's waging war on sinners. And you can go look at Revelation chapter 12, and it's nuts, man. Uh, Chris keeps wanting to preach on Revelation, and I'm just like, ah, I keep reading Revelation, and I'm real scared about it. And so if, you, if you're like, man, I, I want to experience peace, start with Revelation chapter 12, and there's ultimate peace. Jesus Christ comes back with a sword coming out of his mouth and with a tattoo on his thigh, and he's riding this giant horse, and he gets rid of everyone who's warring against him, most namely his enemy, the father of lies, but even those who have not found their peace in him, but they've been looking for somewhere else. Jesus Christ is coming back again to restore all things, and we're in this already not yet phase this church age, and we can look back at Jesus as a sacrifice, and we can either find and put our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, or we are going to be demolished and destroyed and separated from him for all time. That is the exclusive call of finding peace in Jesus Christ and him alone. Those are the options. And I want you to know that really clearly this morning. I don't want to say, hey, if you give money to this Give Hope giving campaign, or hey, if you show up on Sunday, or hey, if you join a serve team, or hey, if you're nicer to your wife, hey, if you read the right Advent book, then you're going to find peace. You're not going to find peace in those things. You're only going to find peace in Christ and him alone. Do not be deceived, friends. Jesus Christ is coming again, and we know that in heaven, it is going to be a peaceful time. The book of Isaiah, the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, they talk about how a wolf is going to lay with a lamb. They're going to be sitting there side by side. A lion is going to eat grass. He's not going to be out hunting. We know there is going to be perfect shalom, perfect irene. We're going to be free from outward struggle and inward sorrow. There's this Latin phrase that was developed by uh, early church fathers, honestly, uh, Augustine, but he used this term, Christus Victor. Christ is our victory. It's not just Christ is our peace, so just go to him. And, you know, he's like this, um, you know, like this guy who's just, you know, sitting smoking a peace pipe and, you know, sitting a certain way and saying, yes, come find peace, my friends. No, he's a king who is victorious. He says, come and find peace in me. John chapter 16, it says this in verse 33. 
He says, I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking, that in me you may have, we'll try it again, that in me you may have, in the world you will have tribulation. We're there, whatever that looks like for you. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I would plead with you this morning, in the midst of despair, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of longing, in the midst of loneliness, look at Christ in the manger. Look at Christ on the cross. Look at Christ on the throne. We look back at his first coming and we look forward to his second. Friend, where does your peace come from? Before you walked in this morning, if I said, or somebody asked you, where does your peace come from, how would you have responded to that person? What would it look like to live in peace? What would that look like to live in perfect peace? To some degree, we're pursuing that. Here's what the scriptures say, and I have several passages ranging from the Old Testament to the New but they can be surmised in this. Keep your minds on Christ. Psalm chapter 119, verse 165, it says, Great peace have those who love your law. In other words, he's talking about love the word of God. Nothing can make them stumble. I've never heard the words, man, you know what? I am just killing it in my time in God's word, in my time in prayer. It's amazing, but I just can't seem to find peace. You're not going to find those words. Nobody's going to say that. Spending time in God's law with his people in prayer is going to bring about peace. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number three. You keep him in perfect, say it with me, peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Matthew chapter five, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Notice he doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. These are the ones who come into hostility, into war, and say, I want to make peace out of this. Romans chapter 8 and verses 6 and 7. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's Genesis 3. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Then Paul says in Romans chapter 14, he says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is us as the church in the very next chapter, he says in, in chapter 15. He says, May the joy of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Are you resting? Are you believing in Jesus Christ so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope? And then Galatians 5, we know this is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Are we just like, man, this is, I don't know. Are we resting in the Spirit because this is the fruit of the Spirit? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, this is part of the armor of God. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, we don't just experience peace, but we proclaim peace. Peace is part of evangelizing the lost, saying to those who are still enemies, those who are still far from God, come and find peace with a good and a perfect king, one who is victorious. Bringing peace is evangelism. That's really good news for us this morning. Uh, 
If we look at Philippians chapter 4, I want us to see this this morning. And maybe this will, in just a moment, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Is I'm, I'm going to have, we're going to have some folks praying like we did last week at each one of these communion stations. As I read Philippians chapter 4, I want you to consider, where am I not experiencing peace in my life? And then we're going to ask the Lord of peace to bring peace to our lives. And if you want someone to pray with you, because the verses we've just looked at, he's talking about us as a body. If you need someone to pray with you, they're going to be available. But as I read this passage, may this wash over us in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our worry, in the midst of our bitterness or anger or sorrow or struggle or sickness or pain or family or work situation, in the midst of hostility or death or war, may we experience peace in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's coming back. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Church, we have folks who are coming up even now to offer the service of prayer. We have a couple here in the front. We're going to have a couple in the back. You don't have to come see one of these folks to experience peace. But I want to make this available because Jesus says, where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And we often take that passage out of context. But I want you to know that I am praying for your peace. I pray that we will find peace in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That we would find peace in his presence, in being with him. So if you want someone to pray with, they're around the room. But I want us to spend just a few moments in confessing the areas of war that we have declared against God. Confess our sin to God that we would be a people who are repenting and turning from that, turning to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who offers peace freely and openly for those who will run to him. So this morning, don't be mired in this bog of self-righteousness or self-pity or sinfulness, but fly to Jesus. Find freedom and peace in him. These stations are available. Church, let's spend a few moments confessing our sin to God, seeking peace in Jesus Christ, in him alone, committing ourselves to his peacefulness, to his kingdom as our only true and right king.